episode of Pass the Mic. I'm Rashika, you're one of your new hosts for this year. Um, so we're trying to keep it casual today, just get, give you guys a chance to meet the team beyond what they're looking forward to this year, get a sense of their personalities and, you know, just who is behind the show while at the same time uh, talking about a topic that is very serious, very near and dear to our hearts and something that somehow still manages to be controversial. Um, and so if you haven't guessed it, we're going to be talking about white feminism today. Um, uh, I think something we should definitely start with would be like a definition, um, maybe a vague understanding of white feminism is, so we can just jump into this conversation with maybe like a clear conscience or uh, a good understanding. Um, so I don't know, what does that mean to y'all? Like, I think we definitely talked about this a little bit before we started airing the, the different things that that might mean, but like, what do you guys consider when you hear that? Anyone wants to take the lead, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> well, I think we talked about earlier how white feminism is a type of oppressive feminism that um, is very exclusive. It only is applicable to white people, or more specifically, white women. And it tends to leave out other marginalized groups, like women of color, um, trans women, queer women, people in general. <laughs> people in more than one of those groups. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I think when we talk about white femi feminism, we're talking about something that is has a very narrow scope to it and doesn't carry a lot of risk when being discussed. Um, because today, you know, a lot of, uh, it can feel, and I think we talked about, we're going to get into this in a bit, but sometimes feminism or just, oh, I guess, ad, ad, advocacy as a concept can seem performative. And white feminism is definitely something that falls within this realm. Um, it's something that claims to look out for a large group of people, but only puts in the work on one specific sub-demographic of that, which in this case is white and usually women, white women, as Phoebe said. Um, hmm? Yeah, white cishet women, you're right. Um, and that is something that people, like the concept of white feminism isn't new, people are aware of it, but I guess, in our particular case, we wanted to talk about um, where where the onus of responsibility falls on dealing with it. But, but before we get into that, um, we should probably give a little more background on why white feminism is so, I hate to use the word, but problematic. I think we have to like start by going back to the history of what the term actually means, right? So like white feminism, at least like from what I understand and what I'm like, interpreting from history, White feminism is mainstream feminism, or like that was the only brand of feminism that people could uh, advocate for from the past. And it's only very recently that people are starting to kind of get with the program and starting to talk about things like intersectionality, which, um, uh, right. So yeah, I mean, when we talk about feminism in general, it's important that we have to distinguish between you know, what is performative white feminism that only looks after a certain class or type of person versus intersectional, femi bleh, intersectional feminism, which, you know, at least attempts to try and help everyone or help the most people possible. And I think when we say it's only recently that it has been able to come, that it's been able to happen, we're talking more that it's only recently that it's been acknowledged by, you know, white people at large because this sort of work has been going on for years 
back into history. And I think part of, you know, overcoming the sort of white feminism is doing things like acknowledging that this has been going on for much longer than recently. And yet it's only recently that we're beginning to see like the first signs of reaping anything from it. So I think now we're going to turn to talking about the specifics of the lack of advocacy for people of color in feminism. So if Phoebe or Gabrielle, you want to start taking off on that, because I know both of you had things to say about that earlier. Um, I think something that's important to consider when talking when speaking on white feminism and speaking on inclusivity would be um, just this this conversation about reaping benefits from other people's culture in general. Um, I think that this civil rights movement is something that people of color uh, and, and queer women and um, just most minority groups have in some way fought or challenged the the history as it seems to fall within our nation, within larger communities, within smaller communities. Um, and the civil rights movement and throughout many bodies and, and mediums that it has taken on, it's it's been something that's been um, ignored, something that's been disrupted, something that's been considered disturbing to the natural flow and the superiority that comes with being a white American. Um, so I think that this feminist movement being a part of or an aspect within the civil rights movement, if you want to look at it with that, uh, that lens, is um, an opportunity almost for, for performative white feminism to say, you know, this is our space, this civil rights movement, this is our space, and this is how we're going to take it on for ourselves. But, you know, thank you for the platform, but you guys don't, we don't need you anymore. Um, and I think that's something that we see so often within feminism, within um, civil rights, within pop culture in general, in many different fields. And I think it's a question of how we address that situation because it's not something that is on the person of color or the minority character to um, resolve. It's it's on that, um, that perhaps white feminist or, um, white activist of some sort that, that claims to be this um, this liberator in some sort of capacity. It's on, it's on them to educate themselves and to awaken themselves to a point that says, you know, this isn't just about me or um, this is so much more than me. And like, that's not on us, you know? And so it's, it's a conversation of how do you get them to realize that without feeling like this is my job and I'm at fault if they don't realize this thing. Yeah, I think adding on to that, I think a lot of people who might um, take on a white feminist uh, perspective might ask, how do how do they know if they're do like how do you know if you're doing that? What does white feminism really look like? Um, I think when we talk about white feminism, we talked about white privilege, and um, I think another important thing that ties into that is white fragility like so okay if you're a white person and you're around people of color and they're trying to share personal experiences with you about being people of color do you react with white fragility when they talk about um how they've been like hurt by whiteness and like white people how do you react i don't know i guess it just opens up a question of what does white feminism really look like and how can you identify it and what can you do? Yeah, going back to your point about identifying it and really like calling out what it is. I mean, well, I guess we were talking about this earlier, but for 
you know, there's a lot of people that in my life that I would describe as white feminists, you know? And it's sort of like they are trying to score like brownie points or they're trying to do like virtue signaling, virtue signaling um, to make themselves feel better. So for example, you know, when I was in high school, someone told me, oh, your body isn't traditional, but I like it, like as a way to sort of make themselves feel better about liking me for who I am, even though who I am like was intrinsically bad, right? And that made me feel bad about myself because, you know, is there something wrong with me? But that's what she was implying. Oh, your body isn't traditional, but I like it anyways. It's such a pejorative term, you know, and it's something that white feminism really takes away from people of color. I think also, and this is going to sound weird when I say it, but I think it is possible to be a person of color and be a white feminist. Oh, yeah. And I feel like oh, I've, gosh, yeah. I've, Definitely. I've seen this more, especially in people of, an, of older generations, which is not to say that it totally does, doesn't exist in ours, because it definitely does. But, um, and you, you just see a lot of, like, my older relatives, like, really, really pumped about, you know, women in STEM and, like, women being empowered to do things. And yet they don't feel as comfortable with the idea of, like, brown women being empowered or, like, specific ways to empower brown people or even looking back at the injustices being done in two different social groups within their own home country. Um, and part of that is just because, you know, those things are hard to look at. It's hard to look at yourself and be like, I am privileged. Um, these are things I need to help promote and be aware of and take action on. But it's also a very necessary part that no one else can do for you. Yeah. No, because I feel like a lot of the time, the onus of responsibility um, is shunted back onto marginalized peoples to do the work of, you know, educating people or giving them resources or even like doing half the work for them of taking action. And I don't think that's quite right, but I also don't think it's right to say that people can't change, that people can't learn and grow, because I absolutely believe people can do those things. So the problem isn't with the idea that people can grow. The problem is that people don't aren't willing to take the action necessary to grow on their own. It's they it it's always easier it's easy to be like okay educate me it's so much harder to be like okay i'm gonna go educate myself because mm -hmm. that takes time and that takes energy and that takes a will that is not there when you ask someone else to do it for you i think that's a really interesting point that you brought up because you know white feminism isn't an arbitrary like label it's something that is defined through your actions so you can always change that label if you put in the effort, right? But it all starts with just education, you know? Especially in this day and age. It's not that hard to just go on the internet and then just find something that can educate yourself, that, that you can better yourself with. But people are, frankly, stubborn. People don't want to make that extra effort to really get out of their comfort zone. I think um, beyond stubbornness, it's also just lack of interest. I mean, we, the, when you are gifted with such a privilege, such as being nearly invincible in a nation um, because of your skin color, or more like because of the subjugation of other skin colors, there's a certain disinterest in educating yourself about that subjugation because half of you, A, wants to deny that that's a thing because you're the one subjugating. You want to deny that that is 
happening because of some man-made power. It should be natural. In your head, it's scientific, it's biological. They are inferior, so why concern myself with their problems? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, a sort of refusal to educate oneself. And I think what's an unfortunate consequence, a tragic consequence of that is that, like how you said, we often feel the onus to educate others or to um, influence others to educate one themselves in these certain conversations or in larger conversations when it comes to min minority di uh, disadvantages or um, you know misprivileges or of some sort um, we often feel this need to you know tell people about it so that they can help us but What's so interesting is when you're talking about this, um, how people of color themselves can have this white feminism, something I've noticed is that it almost comes with giving up the fight. It almost comes with, you know, well, I'm fighting for feminism and they won't fight for my feminism, so let me show them that I'm worthy of their feminism. And in that, I'm going to take on this white persona or this white washing that makes me an acceptable person to fight for or to march for or whatnot. Um, and this is an interesting conversation because it's one that I had in my English class about the beginning of the 1900s when talking about um, the book Quick Stand by Nella Larson, and she was talking about um, a very well-off black woman named Anne in New York, who was the face of, uh, you know, civil rights, of feminism, of all of it. But you would never see her advocating for, you know, black culture or those things. She would instead take on what would be considered white or proper American culture. And it was this question of, you know, like, then when are we acceptable or what makes her acceptable? How did she get here? Is it because she's an acceptable black person or an exceptional black person? Or is it because she left that persona behind and executed, you know, something that was available to a higher society in their eyes? And I feel like that's a hard choice that a lot of people feel like they have to make, uh, people of color, because on one hand, you're more likely to get farther with what you want to get done if you do take on that sort of white persona and like advocate for very white-centered things or things that aren't labeled as such, but definitely are, mm -hmm. um, which you see a lot of in traditional feminism. And, but, or the other choice is to you know, stick to your guns, like hold onto your culture as tightly as you can, but how far are you gonna get in this culture that centers and promotes white-centered ideals? Um, and so even within the community of people of color, and I feel like you do see this a lot with uh, brown girl influencers, and when I say brown, I mean like South Asian mm -hmm. in this particular context, um, because there are so many social things going on even within India, um, within different classes and that sort of thing, even that even can translate over to situations in the US or the UK or wherever else you might be, even if you were second, a second generation immigrant and never like, grew up in India and had that experience, that aren't, like colorism is a huge one here. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that sort of thing isn't addressed by these brown girl influencers when, and instead they take on things like, you know, appropriation of yoga and like chai, and like those things mm -hmm. are also things to talk about. Mm -hmm. But, and I, I say this because this is something that I used to do too and it just takes being more conscious to realize that you have to do this for other people, you have to stand up for the other people too but there is um, there is that lack of push into things that white people would have no interest in, white people wouldn't care about but are very, very important issues to address 
Because, like, what does colorism mean to a white person? Mm. Nothing. Mm. Um, I think what also makes this harder is that privilege is a bubble that doesn't get popped until someone who doesn't have that privilege, you know, pops it for you. Like, sometimes, part, okay, so I, I feel like I'm the type of person to, part of me also wants to believe that people who are white feminists, um, they come from a place of ignorance as well. Maybe for for some people it is like a resistance. They don't want to learn. But I think for maybe a lot of people it is like also an ignorance. Like privilege is just, they're just so privileged that they wouldn't know any better unless someone from an oppressed group comes along and tells them. I think an important aspect of that ignorance is in the um, title itself and in that word white because I think that that sort of categorization is very rare when it comes to addressing the white rather than the black or the brown or the not. I think you don't often see a white person getting, you don't often hear, oh, and there was this dude and he was white and da 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 da. You don't really hear that as much as, you know, oh, um, you know, so and so did this crazy thing and they were black or, you know. Um, so I think that's an interesting thing. White people aren't used to being called out for being white. So a white feminist isn't really aware of what white feminism is or that it could be a thing because, you know, what is white feminism? What is white? Um, and it just looks like feminism. It's just not, it's, it's just not black. It's just not brown. It's just not queer. It's just, um, you know, what they want to not be. So I think that that's a really big surprise when when someone comes up, oh, you're just a white feminist. Like, what the heck could that mean? Because feminism for them, they've never had to claim something for themselves. If they want something, it's theirs. They don't have to take hold of it and say, this is our culture. We have to put our label on it. That's something that we've all had to do because we've had to fight to claim our creations, our innovations, our culture, our traditions, da, 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 so on, so on. Our dances, our songs, our music. We've had to claim all of that because we've been challenged with our ownership of it. But, it won't, but when that doesn't happen, you don't have to claim your, your rights or your possessions in that same way. And I think that's where we get into this really interesting concept where being white is something invisible that gets you seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and on that, Aman, you haven't said much yet, so do you have something <laughs> to say? Um, <clears throat> I definitely resonated with what you said about um, South Asian. Um, older people definitely having that. I think that white feminism isn't just limited to white people, um, but y we call it that because you know it's it's a majority. Um, I think also because it centers whiteness in the narrative, um, and you can be a person of color and still do that. Oh yeah, definitely. So I think and often a person of color that does do that is has done that because of systematic yeah right. um, ingrainings of that notion. Yeah. Um, especially older generations yeah yeah and um there's often that um i don't know if i should say excuse for it I, I'm, I'm not sure and this really relates back to the point that um people should you know be have the agency to be to educate themselves uh the i guess quote excuse of oh that was how i grew up with or you know it's my environment it's a person's surroundings um sure it's okay to note that but it's also even better to note hey you can grow from that you know what's okay that's what was then what is now 
you know, what have we realized now? What can we um, uh, grow with this growth mindset about the uh, concept in general? Mm. You know, and I just want to go, like, piggyback off that point. You know, we live in a time where some people are a little bit uncomfortable. We always hear the term, like, cancel culture. Right? Oh, yeah, We're yeah. We think that that is a bad thing, or we're kind of conditioned to think that's a bad thing. But, you know, cancel culture is just sort of people calling you out, right? Just saying that, oh, what you're doing is white feminism. You should stop that. And people get really defensive about that. They want to dig in their heels and want to say, right, like, you know, what I'm doing is just, is right and just and all that. So, I mean, going back to the growth mindset, like, we have to, I mean, people are allowed to change, right? White feminism isn't something like um, something arbitrary and something that you have to constantly recognize that you have and then try and work to uh, defeat it, right? There's no other way around it than to just call it out for what it is and then try to uh, work in a way that um, creates a better world, creates a world where human beings are respected equally. That's all, that's all we're trying to accomplish here.